Chapter Seven of Free Men and a Maid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org. Free Men and a Maid by P. G. Woodhouse. Chapter Seven. There was a tap at the door. Sam sat up dizzily. He had lost all count of time. Who's that? I have a note for you, sir. It was the level voice of J. B. Midgley, the steward. The stewards of the White Star Line, besides being the civilest and most obliging body of men in the world, all have soft and pleasant voices. A White Star steward, waking you up at six-thirty to tell you that your bath is ready, when you wanted to sleep on till twelve, is the nearest human approach to the nightingale. A what? A note, sir. Sam jumped up and switched on the light. He went to the door and took the note from J. B. Midgley who, his mission accomplished, retired in an orderly manner down the passage. Sam looked at the letter with a thrill. He had never seen the handwriting before, but with the eye of love he recognized it. It was just the sort of hand he would have expected Billy to write, round and smooth and flowing, the writing of a warm-hearted girl. He tore open the envelope. Please come to the top deck. I want to speak to you. Sam could not disguise it from himself that he was a little disappointed. I don't know if you see anything wrong with the letter, but the way Sam looked at it was that, for a first love-letter, it might have been longer, and perhaps a shade warmer, and, without running any risk of writer's cramp, she might have signed it. However, these were small matters. No doubt she had been in a hurry, and all that sort of thing. The important point was that he was going to see her. When a man's afraid, sings the bard, a beautiful maid, is a cheering sight to see. And the same truth holds good when a man has made an exhibition of himself at a ship's concert. A woman's gentle sympathy. That was what Sam Marlowe wanted more than anything else at the moment. That, he felt, was what the doctor ordered. He scrubbed the burnt cork off his face with all possible speed, and changed his clothes, and made his way to the upper deck. It was like Billy, he felt, to have chosen this spot for their meeting. It would be deserted and it was hallowed for them both by sacred associations. She was standing at the rail, looking out over the water. The moon was quite full. Out on the horizon to the south, its light shone on the sea, making it look like the silver beach of some distant fairy island. The girl appeared to be wrapped in thought, and it was not till the sharp crack of Sam's head against an overhanging stanchion announced his approach that she turned. Oh, is that you? Yes. You've been a long time. It wasn't an easy job, exclaimed Sam, getting all that burnt cork off. You've no notion how the stuff sticks. You have to use butter, she shuddered. Don't. But I did. You have to, with burnt cork. Don't tell me these horrible things, her voice rose almost hysterically. I never want to hear the words burnt cork mentioned again as long as I live. I feel exactly the same, Sam moved to her side. Darling, he said in a low voice. It was like you to ask me to meet you here. I know what you were thinking. You thought that I should need sympathy. You wanted to pet me, to soothe my wounded feelings, to hold me in your arms, and tell me that as we loved each other, what did anything else matter? I didn't. You didn't? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't. I thought you did. He looked at her wistfully. I thought, he said that possibly you might have wished to comfort me. 
I have been through a great strain. I have had a shock. And what about me? she demanded passionately. Haven't I had a shock? He melted at once. Have you had a shock too? Poor little thing. Sit down and tell me all about it. She looked away from him, her face working. Can't you understand what a shock I have had? I thought you were the perfect knight. Yes, isn't it? Isn't what? I thought you said it was a perfect knight. I said I thought you were a perfect knight. Oh, ah. A sailor crossed the deck, a dim figure in the shadows, went over to a sort of raised summer-house with a brass thingummy in it, fooled about for a moment, and went away again. Sailors earn their money easily. Yes, said Sam, when he had gone. I forget what I was saying. Something about my being the perfect knight. Yes, I thought you were. That's good. But you're not. No. No. Oh. Silence fell. Sam was feeling hurt and bewildered. He could not understand her mood. He had come up expecting to be soothed and comforted, and she was like a petulant iceberg. Cynically, he recalled some lines of poetry which he had had to write out a hundred times on one occasion at school, as a punishment for having introduced a white mouse into chapel. O woman, in our hours of ease, unsomething something something please, when tiddly umpty umpty brow, a something 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 thou. He had forgotten the exact words, but the gist of it had been that woman, however she might treat a man in times of prosperity, could be relied on to rally round and do the right thing when he was in trouble. How little the poet had known women. Why not? he said huffily. She gave a little sob. I put you on a pedestal, and I find you have feet of clay. You have blurred the image which I formed of you. I can never think of you again without picturing you as you stood in that saloon, stammering and helpless. Well, what can you do when your pianist runs out on you? You could have done something. I can't forgive a man for looking ridiculous. Oh, what, what, she cried, induced you to try to give an imitation of Bert Williams? Sam started, stung to the quick. It wasn't Bert Williams, it was Frank Tinney. Well, how was I to know? I did my best, said Sam, sullenly. That is an awful thought. I did it for your sake. I know. It gives me a horrible sense of guilt. She shuddered again. Then, suddenly, with the nervous quickness of a woman unstrung, thrust a small black gollywog into his hand. Take this. Take it. What's this? You bought it for me yesterday at the barber's shop. It's the only present that you have given me. Take it back. I don't want it. I shouldn't know what to do with it. You must take it, she said in a low voice. It is a symbol. A what? A symbol of our broken love. I don't see how you make that out. It's a gollywog. I can never marry you now. What? Good heavens, don't be absurd. I can't. Oh, go on, have a dash at it, he said encouragingly, though his heart was sinking. She shook her head. No, I couldn't. Oh, hang it all. I couldn't. I'm a strange girl. You're a darn silly girl. I don't see what right you have to say that. She flared. I don't see what right you have to say you can't marry me, and try to load me up with gollywogs. He retorted with equal heat. Oh, can't you understand? No, I'm dashed if I can. She looked at him despondently. When I said I would marry you, you were a hero to me. You stood 
to me for everything that was noble and brave and wonderful i had only to shut my eyes to conjure up the picture of you as you dived off the rail that morning now her voice trembled if i shut my eyes now i can only see a man with a hideous black face making himself the laughing-stock of the ship how can i marry you haunted by that picture but good heavens you talk as if i made a habit of blacking up you talk as if you expected me to come to the altar smothered in burnt cork i shall always think of you as i saw you that night she looked at him sadly there's a bit of black still on your left ear he tried to take her hand but she drew it away he fell back as if struck so this is the end he muttered yes it's partly on your ear and partly on your cheek so this is the end he repeated you better go below and ask your steward to give you some more butter he laughed bitterly well i might have expected it i might have known what would happen eustace warned me eustace was right he knows women as i do now women what mighty ills have not been done by women who wast betrayed the what's its name a woman who lost lost who lost who uh, and so on a woman so all is over there is nothing to be said but good-bye no good-bye then miss bennett good-bye said billy sadly i i'm sorry don't mention it you do understand don't you you have made everything perfectly clear i hope i hope you won't be unhappy unhappy sam produced a strangled noise from his larynx like the cry of a shrimp in pain unhappy i'm not unhappy whatever gave you that idea i'm smiling i'm laughing i feel i've had a merciful escape it's very unkind and rude of you to say that it reminds me of a moving picture i saw in new york it was called saved from the scaffold Oh i'm not unhappy what have i got to be unhappy about what on earth does any man want to get married for i don't give me my gay bachelor life my uncle charlie used to say it's better luck to get married than it is to be kicked in the head by a mule but he was an optimist good-night miss bennett and good-bye for ever he turned on his heel and strode across the deck from a white heaven the moon still shone benignly down mocking him he had spoken bravely but the most captious critic could not but have admitted that he had made a good exit but already his heart was aching as he drew near to his stateroom he was amazed and disgusted to hear a high tenor voice raised in song proceeding from behind the closed door I free a for in shining armor, though his lance be sharp and air keen. But I fear, I fear the glamour, though the drawbing lashes seen. I fear, I fear the glamour. Sam flung open the door wrathfully. That Eustace Hignett should still be alive was bad. He had pictured him hurling himself overboard and bobbing about, a pleasing sight, in the wake of the vessel. That he should be singing was an outrage. Remorse, Sam thought, should have stricken Eustace Hignett dumb. Instead of which, 
here he was comporting himself like a blasted linnet it was all wrong the man could have no conscience whatever well he said sternly so there you are eustace hignett looked up brightly even beamingly in the brief interval which had elapsed since sam had seen him last an extraordinary transformation had taken place in this young man his wan look had disappeared his eyes were bright his face wore that beastly self-satisfied smirk which you see in pictures advertising certain makes of fine mesh underwear if eustace hignett had been a full-page drawing in a magazine with my dear fellow i always wear sigsby's superfine featherweight printed underneath him he could not have looked more pleased with himself hello he said i was wondering where you had got to never mind said sam coldly where i had got to where did you get to and why you poor miserable worm he went on in a burst of generous indignation what have you to say for yourself what do you mean by dashing away like that and killing my little entertainment awfully sorry old man i hadn't foreseen the cigar i was bearing up tolerably well till i began to sniff the smoke then everything seemed to go black i don't mean you of course you were black already and i got the feeling that, that i simply must get on deck and drown myself well why didn't you demanded sam with a strong sense of injury i might have forgiven you then but to come down here and find you singing a soft light came into eustace hignett's eyes i want to tell you all about that he said it's the most astonishing story a miracle you might almost call it makes you believe in fate and all that sort of thing a week ago i was on the subway in new york he broke off while sam cursed him the subway and the city of new york in the order named my dear chap what is the matter what is the matter ha something is the matter repeated eustace hignett i can tell it by your manner something has happened to disturb and upset you i know you so well that i can pierce the mask what is it tell me ha ha you surely can't still be brooding over that concert business why that's all over i take it that after my departure you made the most colossal ass of yourself but why let that worry you these things cannot affect one permanently can't they let me tell you that as a result of that concert my engagement is broken off eustace sprang forward with outstretched hand not really how splendid accept my congratulations this is the finest thing that could possibly have happened these are not idle words as one who has been engaged to the girl himself i speak feelingly you are well out of it sam sam thrust aside his hand had it been his neck he might have clutched it eagerly but he, but he drew the line at shaking hands with eustace hignett my heart is broken he said with dignity that feeling will pass giving way to one of devout thankfulness i know i've been there after all wilhelmina bennett what is she a rag a bone and a hank of hair she is nothing of the kind said sam revolted pardon me said eustace firmly i speak as an expert i know her and i repeat she is a rag a bone and a hank of hair she is the only girl in the world and owing to your idiotic behaviour i have lost her you speak of the only girl in the world said eustace blithely if you want to hear about the only girl in the world i will tell you a week ago i was on the subway in new york i'm going to bed said sam brusquely all right i'll tell you while you're undressing i don't want to listen a week ago said eustace hignett 
I will ask you to picture me seated after some difficulty in a carriage of a New York subway. I got into conversation with a girl with an elephant gun. Sam revised his private combination service in order to include the elephant gun. She was my soulmate, proceeded Eustace with quiet determination. I didn't know it at the time, but she was. She had grave brown eyes, a wonderful personality, and this elephant gun. She was bringing the gun away from the downtown place where she had taken it to be mended. Did she shoot you with it? Shoot me? What do you mean? Why? No. The girl must have been a fool, said Sam bitterly. The chance of a lifetime and she missed it. Where are my pyjamas? I haven't seen your pyjamas. She talked to me about this elephant gun and explained its mechanism. You can imagine how she soothed my aching heart. My heart, if you recollect, was aching at the moment, quite unnecessarily if I had only known, because it was only a couple of days since my engagement to Wilhelmina Bennett had been broken off. Well, we parted at 66th Street, and, strange as it may seem, I forgot all about her. Do it again. Tell it again? Good heavens, no! Forget all about her again. Nothing, said Eustace Hignett gravely. Could make me do that. Our souls have blended. Our beings have called to one another from their deepest depths, saying, There are your pyjamas over in the corner, saying, You are mine. How could I forget her after that? Well, as I was saying, we parted. Little did I know that she was sailing on this very boat. But just now she came to me as I writhed on the deck. Did you writhe? asked Sam with a flicker of moody interest. I certainly did. That's good. But not for long. That's bad. She came to me and healed me. Sam, that girl is an angel. Switch off the light when you're finished. She seemed to understand without a word how I was feeling. There are some situations which do not need words. She went away and returned with a mixture of some kind in a glass. I don't know what it was. It had Worcester sauce in it. She put it to my lips. She made me drink it. She said it was what her father always used in Africa for bull-calves with the staggers. Well, believe me or believe me not. Are you asleep? Yes. Believe me or believe me not, in under two minutes, I was not merely freed from the nausea caused by your cigar. I was smoking myself. I was walking the deck with her without the slightest qualm. I was even able to look over the side from time to time and comment on the beauty of the moon on the water. I have said some mordant things about women since I came on board this boat. I withdraw them unreservedly. They still apply to girls like Wilhelmina Bennett, but I have ceased to include the whole sex in my remarks. Jane Hubbard has restored my faith in woman. Sam! Sam! What? I said that Jane Hubbard has restored my faith in woman. Oh, all right. Eustace Hignett finished undressing and got into bed. With a soft smile on his face, he switched off the light. There was a long silence, broken only by the distant purring of the engines. At about twelve-thirty a voice came from the lower berth. Sam! What is it now? There is a sweet womanly strength about her, Sam. She was telling me that she once killed a panther with a hat-pin. Sam groaned and tossed on his mattress. Silence fell again. At least I think it was a panther said Eustace Hignett, at a quarter-past one. Either a panther or a puma. End of chapter 7 Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org